Happy Wednesday and welcome back to another episode of the Andromeda Minute, a show where each and every week, three days a week, we go over uh, one minute of probably one of the strangest, strangest, uh, most timely uh, sci-fi techno thrillers ever made. The 1971 Robert Wise directed feature, The Andromeda Strain. I'm one of your hosts this week, uh, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com and The Rocketeer Minute. And I'm Ethan McKinley of the former but now redundant podcast, uh, The Two Minute Terminator. I think uh, me and Jim are perhaps one of the early adopters out of the gate, but I did uh, Terminator 1 all the way up to Terminator Genesis. So uh... <laughs> it's, a, it's a stunning repository of the entire uh, saga, I think. Great, well, except great for the new, new one, but I'm working yeah. on trying to think about doing that, so it might be coming, wow. folks. <laughs> <laughs> There's always another Terminator. Uh, and uh, we're, we're back. We're, we're in minute 14 now here, and... Uh, for the first time we know what time it is. It's uh, four minutes after 10 p.m. in uh, the city of San Francisco as we uh, we, wa- we ride through uh, the San Francisco night with uh, uh, Arthur Hill as Dr. Jeremy Stone reading a, reading a rather dull uh, paper. Um, how, how is this how is this moving for you so far, uh, Ethan? Are you are you feeling it or how? Uh, uh, yes. I mean, look, you're, you're the uh, repository of uh, slow moving 70s cinema. And we did actually <laughs> mention this in, uh, I think, Monday's episode. Well, you, you touched on it, uh, the slow pace and how perhaps films have changed since then. But even going way back into the cross streams of time, is it, God, five years ago, maybe, when we did Airport Minute? Yes. Uh, I think we had that very discussion then because I said that the very like glacial, I think your word actually, glacial pace of that film. Uh, and here we are back in, in a, uh, you know, an airplane set. But uh, no, I didn't. I, look, I saw this when I was a kid. It was on like BBC Two quite a lot around tea time, which was an odd time slot for it. So oh. I always put this film in that kind of like grim 70s sci-fi intelligent kind of uh film genre along with i think the swarm why that's in there i don't know that's a bit more of a b plot the michael caine film and uh demon seed but this kind of very like uh gritty talky uh slow paced so i don't know i don't mind this so much i think i, I had a bit of trouble back in the day with airplane airplane start again with uh with airport uh but uh no i think uh again though i think because i didn't grow up with airport uh but yeah. I, grew, I grew up a little bit with this so perhaps uh, I'm a little bit more on board with this. I recall the following year uh, after this was after this was released. This was released as a double feature, uh, backing up or leading in from uh, uh, the 1970 film, 1972 Dr- Douglas Trumbull feature, Silent Running, with Bruce Dern. Did you ever see that? Yes, because uh, Douglas Trumbull did uh, some of the optical effects in this, didn't he? And then he got his directorial debut with. Uh, Silent Running. I remember that very much. That was one of my favorite films as a kid, really. Huey, Dewey, and Louie, those great robots yeah. who were weirdly precursors to uh, R2-D2 in a way, even though they don't really look anything like him. But that kind of childlike uh, way the robots would move. I think uh, you know, R2 was obviously a, a, a trash can, but like the, the sounds he made and things, they were all very kind of uh, childlike and almost human in a way and i think they were yeah. mimes or some kind of like contortionists or am- double were, amputees i think they were yeah or, am- amputees that were built in that were built into it and they would work the legs and the arm and uh yeah they, they you know for for basically large uh, trash bins they look <laughs> they did 
emote uh, very well, and you kind of felt for them when uh, when one of them disappeared or one of them was injured. Uh, you you really had a quite an outpouring of emotion seeing seeing these poor robots suffering. So, um, but uh, you know, an an echo thriller uh, merging with a techno thriller like this, I th- thought made for a good uh, good double feature. Yeah. Um, oh God, no, for sure. Uh, yeah. It, so I was going to say you did mention. <laughs> ah yes. <laughs> Well, you know, hang on. Let's stay on silent running again. Uh, what else did Douglas Trumbull direct after that? Did he do it once, the directorial thing? Yeah, he did. Also, did um, more, most famously, um, uh, Brainstorm. Okay, because yeah, because uh, I'm surprised he didn't carry on. Because like, silent running is a really good film, and then he kind of just went back into SFX. I know he did like the uh, Opticals for, or Spielberg got him in for uh, Close Encounters, didn't he? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Building that massive uh, ET city. Uh, floating in the sky, uh, and uh, you know he he did have a, a certain look that came that came about with that, mm. um, and uh, yeah, and then he got into uh, what was known as show scan, which was an attempt at showing movies at sixty frames per second that would give you a more realistic view of the world. You wouldn't get the flicker. Um, I which, I yeah. was, we wouldn't I get was, that until the Hobbit, really, would we? And then it looked too right, kind yeah. of cheap high, and weird. High, high frame rate that makes everything look like video. That was the downside of it. Yeah. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to see a uh, a demo of ShowScan in Dallas back in I want to say '84 or '85, and they had it at uh, the Valley View Mall in uh, in Dallas. They had it that you could you were invited to see it and I wound up going to see this thing and it was an interesting presentation um I thought it was uh, it was neat looking he was trying to find something similar to like IMAX that it would make it more realistic the uh, uh the movie brain scan uh, or, I'm sorry brainstorm uh had the the in brain experience that VR experience was were the show scan parts of the movie of course they ate through a lot of film and it required a high speed uh, very cooled um, projector, so it was an expensive uh, endeavor. Similar, you know, similar like um, sense around that kind of stuff. It was just kind of making making it a reason to go to the movie theater instead of watching it on your home uh, VCR. Um, but is he, uh, uh, yeah, no, how come he's not? Well, is he mentioned in the same breath as someone pushing the technology? Perhaps like James Cameron or kind of uh, George Lucas? I know he kind of. Uh, I know I know his work because I'm like a film nerd. But like, uh, you know, because I think he, he was. Did he do a bit on Tron as well, if I remember correctly? So, I mean, all these milestone uh, SFX films, and like have you yeah. just said, like showcasing like 60 frame a minute films. Is he, is he not? Why is he not? I don't consider him in the same well, breath as the technology I mean, pushes. He was one of the guys that was responsible for getting, I think he's still on the board of IMAX. I mean, that, that, the whole IMAX idea of um, uh, getting, you know, he, he worked on, I mean, he worked on things like Blade Runner. He, he started working on the Blade Runner stuff, and then he turned it over to. Uh, David Dreyer because uh, I think he just ran out of time. He he he's a bit of a, from what I'm understanding, he's a bit of a perfectionist, and they needed somebody that just kind of had to get the things done fast. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, he he worked. He he, I, he wanted to have the kind of uh, special effects we have now back then, and it's just the computer power wasn't there and you know people like john dykstra working on the dykstra flex camera and things like that he he was part of that crew that those those young uh those young turks that wanted uh better faster uh cooler um more technologically advanced special effects Mm. and uh, i would imagine that must have been very uh frustrating with him uh doing that stuff (laughs) 
Well, this is all pre-Star Wars as well, isn't it? That's the other thing, because like Dykstra and him and uh, all those young Turks, as you put it, kind of, as soon as Star Wars came along, they were kind of all drafted together to form, uh, I guess, Skywalker effects, or was it Lucas? I don't know, whichever that team was that George assembled to kind of uh, put things together, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and, and like Trumbull, he got offered all that stuff. I mean, he got offered... He got offered Star Wars, and, and he said, no, no, I don't have time for it. I want to get show scan up and off the ground. So he turned down he turned <laughs> down Lucas, and Lucas went with Dykstra, and then Dykstra built the whole thing. And he, get, he got invited to do uh, the special effects for Star, Star Trek The Motion Picture. And uh, after his experience, you know, at the same time he was working on Close Encounters, he got offered the Star Trek thing. So he's like, no, I don't want to do it. And they had to clean up after uh, – uh, uh, Robert Robert Abel stuff, and then um, it was it, it was a, it was a mess. They what happened? The, what Star Trek the, the motion picture? Yeah, Star Trek the motion picture. He did, the, fir- he did to, the special effects first thing. Cause that's another Robert Weiss film, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's a, a yet another Robert Weiss film. But the the problem that Trumbull had was he got he got involved with it, and then he said, "I don't really want to do it." Right. Uh, I've got I've got this whole stuff going on with because Clo- Close Encounters was happening at the same time. Uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture kind of overlapped. Yeah. In in production, so what happened was he turned it, he he recommended that they go with Robert Abel. Robert Abel didn't know how to do special effects with big <laughs> models and things, so they spent all this money with Robert Abel, and he came they like they were getting ready. This was like a Christmas release. And I think it was in October or something like that. They went to Abel and they said, I may be telling this story wrong, so I apologize if I'm not telling it exactly. But Robert Abel, they went, they went to him in October and said, well, let's see what you got and see all those match shots you did. And he came back with something like 20 seconds of, uh, uh, you know, the worker bee things that fly around the Enterprise. He didn't have the Enterprise done. And they're like, um, we're going to release this two weeks before Christmas. Where's all the stuff? Well, we're working on it. So they, be, uh, you know, Paramount had to do, go dig out a stack of cash and hand it to Trumbull and say, would you please, for God's sakes, would you fix please this. <laughs> fix this? So uh, he came back, he came back in and, uh, and, and, and built, you know, built some of the, uh, the effect, the, the remaining effects. Well, there's so, those lovely tracking shots as the M- enterprise is like moving around. It looks, I mean, still to this day, I think, cause they shot it in 70 millimeter. Uh, yeah. It looks still fantastic. I didn't like high def. If you've got like a really good Blu-ray player and uh, TV, uh, the motion picture still looks amazing for the most part. I think. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, the biggest problem that if if you watch the when you watch Star Trek the motion picture, you don't see that much of the Enterprise. No, because uh, and again, I may be telling this story wrong. When Trumbull worked in two thousand and one, he built. Um, he built the space station and he built uh, the discovery, you know, the big long uh, Jupiter ship and they were gigantic models. So they were like, you know, 30, 40 feet. You know, the, the, the space station was like 30 feet big and, and discovery was 50 feet long. So you didn't mm. have to worry about things like focus and stuff. And, but the enterprise model that Robert Abel had built was something like six or seven feet long. So it looked like a model, no matter how you filmed it. Mm. So what Trumbull had to do was he had to change, um, he had to change the the storyboards, so all they were doing was like an over the shoulder shot of the Enterprise, where the, the Enterprise would be looking at something, and then uh, Trumbull could build all these loose, you know, the, those images of it being inside V'ger, which were just slit screen um, animations. So they didn't have they didn't have any kind of a scale. 
So that so, giant pan around when we first see it, there's that like eight minute sequence where they're just going around. It's in kind of like dry dock and it's got that scaffold around it. Is that the same model that the previous special effects guy built and they're exactly. trying to hide its shittiness? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So they, they they hung they you know they hung a uh, they hung a dry dock over it so that you didn't see how bad it was, and <laughs> and when you if if you watch that whole gigantic scene, you think it, it's kind of like um it's it's a magician trick. You think you're seeing a giant pan around of the entire ship. You think you're looking at wow, isn't this magnificent? We're getting this entire three sixty view, but all you're seeing when they're flying is you're seeing a close-up of the side of a ship. You're seeing the um, underside of a couple of, you know, panels overhead. And you're seeing uh, Kirk and Scotty looking out the window. But you don't see the whole ship except for one very limited scene straight on. So, yeah. I just thought that was it, like the classic tease just to kind of like arouse your kind of uh, excitement and senses. You go around this like uh, the ship, but now we know the reason why. Yeah, yeah. Now you're just you're just hi- hiding out. So, uh, but uh, that's a whole that's a whole another movie, and it's a whole decade in front of this one. This is mm. setting up. But we're we're watching. Speaking of uh, covering up for uh, for having no budget and trying to get things done, <laughs> uh, this movie uses two. You know, uses another famous uh, 1970 film to to get a, another minute out of the way by uh, visiting one of my favorite places, the old uh, set of. That's uh, trans- not the same bloody plane, is it? It is very much so. Oh my god! I actually thought that I was like, it's got the mustard walls. It's got like the uh, linoleum thing on the yeah. wall by the phone. That's, yeah, the, that's only, the same plane. That is well, the, the very set. same. That oh is my the god! Very same set. This is uh, <laughs> this is on the Universal Studio lot, and it's it's actually filmed in the same month in the uh the, in late fall of uh, 1970. Oh my god! And, so they uh, just use the same set to save some cash. Yeah, the only thing that they've changed on it is, of course, they got that beautiful sponsorship by TWA. Oh, so they put, put like the the uh, the head cup. Was it the the head they put bl- protectors? Yeah, and they put blue seat covers over the first class seats because <laughs> TWA had the blue seat covers because they were originally gold. <laughs> I can't gold. believe that. I yeah. knew it. I thought there was something yeah. up about this. I was like, What's this? I've seen this before. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So Arthur Hill is sitting where uh, Dean Martin or where. Uh, Dean Martin was truck- trying to talk uh, Jacqueline Bisset into an abortion, uh, just two rows behind him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we're we're looking all all the way down to the uh, the man in twenty two twenty two C that uh, had stale nuts, and uh, and the very same place where uh, Dio Guerrero would be uh, blowing up a, uh, a lavatory. Um, <laughs> How do you so, think this film would have turned out had they had like those, like gigantic stars of the time like Dean Martin and uh, you know people. Uh, would it have survived? I, <laughs> as a, as I, think, a... I think it would have been. It would have just been a showcase for the stars, and yeah. uh, we would have we would have missed it all. We would we'd have missed the whole story. This is it, it is a bit of a plotting procedural, but I enjoy the plotting proceduralness of it all. Um, the gentleman uh, drinking the tea, who's being sent obviously uh, to sort this out, a bit. He's a bit like uh, the dad from the Waltons. Forgotten his name, mixed with a uh, Dustin Hoffman, uh, but older. He's da- got a Hoffman esqueness to him. David Wayne. David, David Wayne, Wayne, great, great character actor. Um, he's been in Twilight Zone. Uh, I, I, I have, I don't have his IMDb open in front of me, but if you go down, I'm sure there's well over 90 appearances. Everything from Playhouse 90 to uh, he may have Adam's been rib. Uh, yeah, Adam, uh, the front page with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. I'm just scrolling through it now. Worked up until 1987 yeah. on a TV movie called Poker Alice. But uh, yeah, he, he has. He's a bit like. Uh, I thought it was Glenn Ford initially, but it's not. Uh, 
obviously I knew I knew know Glenn Ford looking that kind of age in the Superman the movie is a he's obviously yeah. he's Earth father, but I was like, is that no? And he's like, it's not, it's not Halfman. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, no, it's uh, it, David, David Wayne very happy to play. Uh, I, I've I've mentioned this earlier when we were doing the credits, but. Uh, he was very happy to be in in movies instead of being on you know on the streets of San Francisco or Banachek or some other TV show. Um, so happy was he with uh, having a movie role after after several years that uh, he the character named Charles Dutton he would reuse in a uh, in a TV show with Larry Hagman on uh, it called The Good Life the following year and he asked to, uh, to that the, the name was such good luck for him Charlie Dutton that he uh, he reused that on the good life in 1971 <laughs> the following year so uh, can't can't argue with good luck i think uh, uh in today's climate when you get actors that kind of springboard from tv into film or if the tv show is big enough they kind of can jump to the next level or jump up in film was that the case during the 70s because i mean you look at this, some of these actors tvs and it's all tv movies miniseries tv movies especially uh, obviously uh david wayne who we're talking about uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, all these great character actors. Was that more of the thing at the time to be a, a TV dependable TV character actor versus film? Was it was the less film being made and it was more about television of the seventies and things? Yeah, it, it was steady work. I mean, the, the thing about television series, if you were you know if you were known as an embezzler or if you were known, you know, I mean, look at Arthur Hill. Arthur Hill has has tons of these things. So does so does Dave. So does everybody <laughs> in this movie. I mean, I'm surprised that um, you know. Uh, uh, gosh, Lloyd Bar- Lloyd Bachner should be in this movie. He was yeah. in every, you know, or 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 George Papard could have been in this film. Yes, it, it's one of those things that you you have a you have a relatively um, active uh, uh, TV career. You you might wind up with second rate parts, mm. and, but but still you're getting a paycheck. And most of these people they're already working for Universal, so they show up on the lot. And it's like, yeah, we got a job for you today. Here's your sides. Go learn these. You're going to have six pages, and you'll be in this movie. Yeah. So Miss Mrs. Dutton here uh, is is one such character. She's you know well you ha- all she has to do is unfold bags and stuff. But she's got a she's got a regular role, and you know she'll be she'll be on Little House on the Prairie the following week or uh, Bracken's World or something like that. But that's what she does for a living. And the the thing about audiences at the time where they were familiar with the faces. So if you see, I mean, today we have it with um, people like uh, beloved character actress Margot Martindale. Mm. You know her face. You know what kind of a character that she's playing. So you say, oh, okay, I know what. I know who she is. I know what she's going to do. I know what and kind of show this is going to be, so I like this kind of show, therefore I'm going to watch it. Exactly. So yeah. you're you're there in this show. Um, I think it helps It helps move the story along quickly. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> people are, you know, it, it's comforting, I think. It's, it's a bit of, she'll be on the Waltons. She'll be, you know, the Baldwin sisters, uh, yeah. the distant relative. But you know her face. You know what she has to do. And you don't have to have her explained to you. Just the, the woman who puts up Dr. Dutton's uh, suitcases. Yeah. So I was just thinking, like, fast forward 14, 15 years to Miami Vice, and that is littered with guest actors like Liam Neeson and Bruce Willis and things that obviously went on to become, like, or work in movies, essentially. I think even Helen Mirren's in a couple of them. I know Helena Bonham yeah. Carter was in one episode. And I think that's when you start to see perhaps, a, a, well, particularly in the, in the later 80s, I think leading up to that point, you were kind of trapped in either television or you could never kind of make the crossover. Whereas I think uh, maybe that show in particular was an anomaly, but that seems to have the most per capita uh, guest actors that made the leap from, uh, you know, television to film. Maybe it's just blind luck, I don't know. But uh, 
I was just looking at this montage of some of the actors that were perhaps in Miami Vice. I went, oh my god, he was in that. Oh my god, that's a he's a movie star now. Like, yeah. Uh, you seem to get less of that back then, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's either you know you you kind of wound up in that TV niche, or yeah. uh, you know the rarity when you when you jumped out of it. I mean, Tom Selleck always looked like he was going to wind up being a movie star. Well, he would have, he didn't just, it? They obviously, but you, everyone, I think anyone listening knows this. He was going to be Indiana Jones, and then I think uh, was it Aaron Spelling withheld him. Yeah, for his so, Magnum PI contract, and that kind of cheated him out of the Indiana Jones role. Yeah, but you know, but then you see people like Harrison Ford. You watch old episodes of Love, Love American Style, and he's like the comic dolt, and it's like, oh, that's Harrison Ford in there. Or you see, you know, um, Mark Hamill being on uh, the Texas Wheelers, and, and Jack Elam's <laughs> his dad, and you're like, what's he doing in this show? But you, your, your association with him is, oh, these, these guys are in blockbuster movies. Why would they stoop to doing TV? Well, it's a paycheck, and it's steady work, especially. You know, the people like... Um, well, blockbusters you know, like Pat... weren't really a thing. I mean, Jaws, I guess, was the first... Maybe Planet of the Apes, but I think there was the the, the, the definite... Poof, the summer movie is here is, uh, I guess, Jaws, isn't it? And that's when, which, you know, begat Star Wars, begat Close Encounters, begat basically Spielberg's career. And uh, right, yeah. is what launched those, you know, TV players, Harrison Ford being one of them, into uh, these big leagues, essentially. Yeah, and you know, even things like American Graffiti, which came out the year before, was a summer. It was a, it was an early summer hit. It was, it yes. was released in April. But uh, yeah, all of those things. Once you're in a blockbuster movie, it's really hard to go back to being. I mean, I don't think you're gonna see. I don't think you're gonna see James McAvoy in a TV show. I don't. <laughs> you know, but 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 now you have that middle ground, that weird that weirdness that is Netflix or a, uh, Amazon Prime, where you're kind well, of. I think sticking with the viral theme of this i think i was listening to a podcast the other day that uh, because this corona thing has happened a lot of films have or universal are like altering their releases perhaps i think there's a i can't remember what the film is it's coming out next month it might just go straight to streaming because no yeah. no you can't go to the movie theater because everything's shut down we don't know how long this is going to carry on for and this might be the tipping point which finally kills movie theaters where the studios go well the overheads and making money and you, all the money you kind of make off the buying public is off the overpriced popcorn and soft drinks and things. Why not just, you know, allow you to rent this film for like 40 hours and, you know, charge $50, which sounds like a lot, but if you've got a family watching it, that's cheaper than going to the movie theater. So they were just discussing this, maybe the tipping point where, yeah, you know, things finally yeah. bleed together and, you know, this and, is and, the death knell of and, cinema. When we've, we've even seen movies like the hunt or, um, uh, I can't even remember the name of the latest Pixar film, uh, onward, all of those things were pulled from movie theaters and pushed back into this, you know, you spend 20 bucks and watch it at home. Mm. So maybe it will be. And, you know, it's it kind of like what killed uh, record album sales. It, yeah. You know, that, was, that was a plague, but it, that wasn't a plague, but it was again, Napster, it might, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All these things that it's more File affordable sharing. and people, people don't want to get out of their cocoons. They'd rather, you know, I'll give you 20 bucks if I can just sit home and watch the latest Star Wars movie here in the privacy of my own house. Um, whether that'll take off or, or not, we, you know, at the time of this recording, we have yet to see, but this, this could be the uh, cataclysmic event that starts something like that. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, you're a, you're not like a, you know, a virologist and things, but you've kind of worked for the government or you work for big, like, uh, you know, aerospace companies. Uh, in terms of this film, do you think how accurate is it compared to what they do today? Had there been some kind of viral outbreak discovered, be it alien or, you know, earthly? 
you think uh, I, this is how they would have done it then? Or is this just I, Michael Crichton speculating? Because he was just a medical practitioner, wasn't he? Or a doctor, there, right? There's so Yeah, there's so much in this thing that it, it, there there is this impression that people who work in the government are in are amazingly competent at what they do. Mm. And there are, all, from what I've seen in the government, there are some people who are amazingly competent in what they do. And they are usually supervised by people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's this General Sparks guy that we're seeing, who is another, another Just great... Just to uh, back up your point, I think that's like yeah. any job, be it working in a department store or anything else, you're usually smarter than the manager who's yeah, telling you what and, to do. and they, they don't want to hear the bad news. So you no. have to figure out some way of couching the bad news of, yeah, this has gone out of control and we're going to have to blow up a, a town and get rid of it. And they're looking at clipboards and going, well, how is this going to affect my career? And, and, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't come through in this movie, but What's that's my legacy I mean, when I retire from the military. Yeah, it's it's it. I mean, this guy with the scrambled eggs on his hat, uh, General Sparks, he's responsible for you know. He, as we were just being, where they literally spelled it out for us in a in a report that General <laughs> Sparks was in charge of the scoop mission control. If people didn't pick it up. And he said, this is General Sparks. He, he did everything but say, you know, the guy from the report you were just reading in your limo. Um, but he is. <clears throat> already thinking, you know, we've already got everybody together and we're assembling your team and we'll give you more information, blah, 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 blah. Mm. I mean, he's now brought this deadly disease back home. And, you know, we don't go into the, we don't go into the politics of I've done something really stupid and I shouldn't have done this, <laughs> but I was under orders. So, you know, you, I think, and we were talking about this earlier about how this might be a different movie uh, 50 years in the future, mm. where the movie now would be, you know, sparks would be held up to account or, you know, people would be mostly focused on, on him and what, you know, what stupidity the government did in bringing this thing from outer space mm. into our living rooms. So, um, yeah, just, uh, it's, it's an interesting view of the whole world that, in the middle of this was in the middle of Vietnam, you know, the, the Tet Offensive uh, had just happened, and uh, this is filmed just after Kent State and all these other things where the government was out to uh, you know send your children to war and and kill them on the on the streets of you know, of your local town. Yeah. Um, there still is this massive trust in well, the government has this all in hand and they know what they're doing and we've you know we've prepared for this. And I think, you know, we're seeing this on both sides of the Atlantic. Nobody was prepared for this. Nobody was really prepared. You know, you say, people said that they were prepared for it, but they're, they're really, in terms of emergency preparedness, nobody ever sets aside uh, enough to fight a war uh, on mm. these kind of things. I was going to ask, speaking of the death knell of cinema because of the current climate with the uh, corona outbreak, do you think this is the death knell of perhaps viral outbreak movies? Because I think we've had, like, outbreak, contagion, the crazies, uh, just things like that, and I think uh, I think post nine eleven there was a few images in films. R quite recently, actually, I mean Superman versus v Batman, Batman v Superman being one where you see this city being raised to the ground, or even Man of Steel. They they took quite a lot of nine eleven esque images with the kind of smoke billowing, buildings coming down, people falling out of like uh, buildings and stuff. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if that, as far as I can tell, at least critically, people didn't enjoy that. People didn't, yeah. Yeah, it was like, oh, that's a bit kind see. of, we've seen that in real life. And I think because now we've gone through this in terms of what's happening now, do you think we're going to see perhaps less viral movies or perhaps more? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be. As we've lived this, in, in a sense, you don't really want to see it 
on the screen yeah, it's too close to they, home. I don't think they'll be floating these. I mean, well, they will actually. You know, picture how how Hollywood works or how whatever whatever passes. <laughs> Get me a viral viral outbreak movie, see? <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. You know, it, it's timely. It's, it's ripped out of today's headlines. Blah blah blah. You know that kind of stuff. But it won't. Nobody wants to hear about it anymore. I think. Yeah. It'll be, by the time we get, I don't know if anybody listened to this podcast. By the time it's over, it's just we've had enough of uh, of talking about viruses and talking about. Uh, uh, I think how to James Cameron ourselves. said that as well when he did True Lies. He said, "I wouldn't make True Lies again or depict terrorists that way because I think now we've had nine eleven, terrorism just isn't funny in a sense." Uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of sentiment. I'm just wondering how that will play out with the this particular genre of film because I watched Outbreak a couple of days ago. And ah. I watched Contagion. I'm going through a bunch of uh, a viral movie marathon as we speak. So <laughs> this is now. Well, well that, uh, that was, um, I, I think that was a problem that happened when the Hunt for Red October came about. When, mm. uh, as they were producing the movie, uh, the Soviet Union disappeared. So they had to set it in the past a bit just so that they could make it plausible to understand what was going on on, mm. on screen. Um, it's mm. the, the world changed out from underneath what they were what they were writing about. Yeah. I was going to say, before we wrap up, we've got quite like uh, very traditional gender role depictions of women in this film. You have the lady on Monday's show whose husband has kind of like been rushed out of the house. She was there like with the phone and stuff. Uh, and then you've got the ladies here helping him pack his bags, the mother or the wife and the daughter. But then like later in the film, you've got this kind of like wisecracking, sarcastic uh, Kate Reed character who's playing this scientist. Was that unusual for the time? Playing uh, Ruth uh Leavitt? Oh yeah, she's well. We'll we'll, we'll talk about her uh, on our next episode. But yes, yeah, it, it's it's very much against type. And originally in the, in the book, Leavitt was a, a man. Okay. And uh, so dropping her in really changed the whole dynamic. Uh, yeah, and I think it made it a much better. Film. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that more on Friday. Uh, one we thing have a I cliffhanger, wanna, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's more. There's more. There's more there's of more. us coming up. Um, one thing I did want to point out before we leave, as we're noticing in passing. Uh, Apparently, Doctor and Mrs. Dutton sleep in twin beds, which is uh, you know very much a fifties thing or a pre-birth control thing. Although, <laughs> I think that's a good idea because I've uh, in past relationships you sleep in the same next to the same person, they move, some snore, yeah. some have sleep apnea, some just horrendous it's, to sleep next yeah, to. It's, so I kind of like uh, it. <laughs> yeah, it's it it it's to to each his own, but it's just an interesting scene to see a uh, a twin bed operation uh in a movie which really uh, that that would be how robert wise would think well in the bedroom we'll have the twin beds that's you know how how you'd film a robert wise film from the past it would be twin beds and as natural uh, i agree robert it, wise long may it continue even separate rooms <laughs> <laughs> yes headphones and nose plugs so, uh, <laughs> but, but we'll we'll be uh, we'll be visiting this uh, this nice uh, couple in our in our next episode uh for for folks who'd like to talk about things that we've missed or talked over or whatever, uh, please join us on social media. We're always available at Project Wildfire on uh, Facebook and, of course, on Twitter, as always, Andromeda Minute. If you've missed any previous episodes, go to andromedaminute.com, and you can uh, catch up on all previous uh, quarter hour of stuff that we've got back here uh, already in the bed. So, uh uh, check on that uh ethan when people want to uh hear from you i know you have a couple of places that, that they can catch up on uh yes i've got two instagrams i've got emc comic so if you go to emc comic on instagram you can see my uh past works and current works i'm in a uh, an amazon series at the moment called dark ditties uh you might find that agreeable to watch it's quite a good show uh or you can uh 
go to my other Instagram, which is Ethan underscore McKinley, E-T-H-A-N underscore M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y. And if you like me on this show and you want 400 more of me, uh, you can go to Two Minute Terminator on YouTube and see all the previous uh, podcasts I did covering five Terminator films. Oh my God, it's a marathon. <laughs> and they are unbelievably groovy. I, I can vouch, vouch for that. Especially the episodes you're on, Jim. Never, never forget. <laughs> Those are super duper groovy. Yeah. So, well, anyway, join join both of us here. In the meantime, uh, wash your hands, stay away from uh, people coughing, and uh, stay well. We will see you here on Friday on the Andromeda Minute. See you Friday. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.